Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, a very familiar story today. We're not going to read the whole, the whole thing, but I want to, I, I want to focus on some very uh, important verses, and then we'll go back and we'll talk about the story just a little bit today. Did you ever think about that? Why did David cut Goliath's head off? You say, well, preacher, did that, he did it to kill him. No, he was already dead. And so why did David remove the head of the giant? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And so 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Bibles, and when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's all stand this morning out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse number 38 and read down through right around verse number 51, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 38 says, and Saul armed David with his armor. And don't forget what our Bible says, that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest of his army. So Saul was a big, he was a big fella. And David was just a youth. And so I'm not exactly sure what Saul was thinking here. He's trying to put David in his, his armor, but uh, it didn't work. And Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed uh, him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed to go. In other words, he hesitated. Uh, and he essayed to go for he had not proved it. And David said unto, uh, unto Saul, by the way, this is very bold. He said, I cannot go with these. For I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Wow, that's pretty bold in the sight of the king. And verse 40, and he took his staff in his hand. So he's got his little shepherd's staff and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. This is one of the things that my wife and I did not get to do when we were in Israel. We did not get to visit the Valley of Elah. We didn't get to go to this brook <coughs> And I understand that when we go back, that we'll be able to visit this brook and get some stones out. I want, I want one of those stones. I told my wife, I said, that's my bucket list. I want one of those rocks out of the, out of the brook here. Um, and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him, went before Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. He was just a, just a kid. And ruddy, he was probably red hair, had red hair. That's what that means. It means red. So we believe that David stood out most Jews have dark hair, dark complexion. David had red hair. So he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He was as handsome as the day was long. He had a beautiful countenance. And he was just a handsome young man. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog <laughs> that thou comest to me with staves? So he sees David with his little shepherd's staff and he says, what is this? He said, you're coming to me, is this a joke? You're coming to me with a stick. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And I've got to believe, my friend, that this is where the psychological warfare took over. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Now, here's the thing, church, and I know we're doing a little bit of commentary on this before we get into this, but this is just good commentary stuff right here. I can guarantee you this, Goliath had probably never heard of David. 
but he had heard of Jehovah. Oh, yes. He had heard of the God of Israel. Now, he may be mocked, but he had heard some of the stories. He had heard about some of the miracles. Whoa, I got chills just thinking about it, man. And so David said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. Verse 44, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Oh, I love the next couple of verses. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran away. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, no. That David hasted and ran, which direction? Toward. Ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. <laughs> now, church, come on now. Don't make the, the Bible more spiritual than it is. You got, you've got to believe in your mind right now. This Philistine's thinking, hmm. Everybody else is shaking in their boots, including Saul. Everybody else's knees are knocking together. Everybody else is scared to death of this giant. The Bible tells us that's the case. And here's this little young man that's running toward the battle. And David, verse 49, and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his faith, face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword, at least at that time. But there was no sword in the hand of David, not, as, not yet. Therefore, in verse 51 is our, our text verse, therefore... David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Wow, what a story. It preaches itself. But I want to talk to you this morning about this subject, removing the head of the giant. You may be seated this morning and I'm going to pray and we're going to give you a little bit of an intro and then we're going to give you a few points today on why did David cut the head of the giant off? Why, why did he go to all that trouble? And we're going to tell you, I believe from the word of God, we're going to tell you why he did that. Um, and so let's go to the Lord in prayer and you say, pastor, what does this have to do with me? And it has to do a lot more with you than you know this morning. And so I hope that you'll hang in there with us and I hope this will be helpful and interesting today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to, to be uh, in this place today. And God, we're thankful for this Sunday morning service. And Lord, thank you for the music. It's been wonderful. Thank you for the special number that goes right along with the message that, you, that you've laid upon my heart for this morning. And God, I pray now that you'll, uh, Lord, unite our hearts and our minds together. And I pray that we'll earn a great truth. Father, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this service and uh, over everything that's about to be done. And God, I pray that you'd touch us spiritually, physically. I pray, God, you, that you'd direct our minds to thee and to what you have for us from your word today. And Lord, I pray all that's done would please you and honor your son. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit now. Oh, God, we need it so desperately. Father, breathe upon us. Breathe upon us today and help us to learn something from your precious book. We love you and praise you. Lord, save that one that's nearest hell. Encourage that one that's discouraged. Help that one that's struggling today. And uh, we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. I want to take just a moment, if I could, before we, uh, before we jump into the main content of the sermon, to let you know that David had a very real enemy in Goliath. Now, this is no joking matter. 
This is not a fairy tale or a fable of some kind. This is a very real story. And so I want to try to, if I could today, I want to try to paint a picture in your mind if I could. So first of all, Brother Abel, can I pick on you just for a minute? Can I get you to come up here and help me? And Abel, if you'll just stand right here, and, and I'm, not, I'm not picking on him on purpose, but uh, yeah, I am. And uh, no, so uh, Abel is a little shorter in stature than some. Amen. And uh, so you go back and study the, the Jewish ancestry, and this is not a slam on Jewish people, but Jewish people typically are a little shorter in stature than Gentiles. By the way, you're Gentiles, all right? And, uh, and so when I, I thought about that shortness, uh, I want to I use Brother Abel. So sometimes it comes in handy, and it's coming in handy right now. And so Abel, you stand right there, and I want to see if I can put a... I want to see if I can put a visual in your mind today. And so everybody hang in there with me today. So here David is. And David gets five smooth stones in his shepherd's bag, sling in his hand, which by the way, they knew how to use a sling. And it wasn't the slingshot that you're used to, but these guys, these guys were deadly with a sling. He puts five smooth stones in his shepherd's bag. He runs toward the giant. Now, I want you to understand, uh, look in your Bibles, if you will, at 1 Samuel 17, verse number four. The Bible says, and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, look at this, whose height was six cubits and a span. And so here comes this Jewish boy as a shepherd. He just came from, his, from keeping his daddy's sheep. He's a young man. Our Bible tells us that. He's redheaded. He's just a little Jewish young, young man. He runs to the giant, and the Bible says that, hold that. Thank you, Brother Abel. The Bible says that Goliath is about nine feet, nine inches tall. So here's this, here's this young Jewish boy. He's already put off the king's armor. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. He's not used to that. He puts the armor off. He grabs his sling. He's got his shepherd's staff, and he runs to this giant. And the Bible says to Goliath, if we read our Bible right, and I believe we do, if we read our Bible right, this is what David, a young Jewish boy, this is what he was facing. A giant that's almost 10 feet tall. Now, the reason I'm doing this is I want you to get this in your head. This is major. This guy is a giant in every sense of the word. He is a warrior. He's been a warrior from his youth. He knows he has a, he has specialized training and his specialized training is in killing you. And David, this young man, runs out and here, man, you think about it. Think, you gotta, man, you've heard the phrase aim high. David's gotta aim, David's gotta aim high, man. I mean, you think about that. Thank you, Brother Abel. You can just lay that back there behind the choir, if you will. Look on, look at look at verse number five. The Bible says, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was, was 5,000 shekels of brass. So it's a, a coat of mail. A coat of mail is, is a, uh, would be a piece of armor that sort of looks like fish scales. It's got layers of steel. And that's what the Bible's talking about when it says the, he's got this coat of mail on. And the Bible says that it weighs just the coat of mail, not the other armor, but just the coat of mail weighs 5,000 shekels of brass. So we know this, we know that just this coat of mail weighs somewhere between 125 and 190 pounds. Just the coat of mail. Look down at verse number seven. The Bible says, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spearhead, just his spear's head, weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. Now, this is pretty interesting too. The Bible says that Goliath, his, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
When it says it's like a weaver's beam, basically what the Bible is saying is this, that his, his staff, the staff of his spirit, wasn't very long. And, and what the Bible is telling us by that is this, that Goliath really had no plans on throwing it. They would make spears long and slender. They would use the length as a way to steady the spear. And then oftentimes the spearhead was sharp and it was very light. Goliath's spear was very short and the spearhead, just the spearhead itself weighed 15 pounds. And what the Bible is telling us is this, that this guy loved to get up close and personal with his enemy. He had no desire to throw a spear and stick you. He wanted you to get close so he could thrust you. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to get you, and I'm, I'm guessing this guy, if this, is, this guy is this tall, I'm guessing he had a pretty good uh, ability to reach, and he would grab his enemy, and then he would take that spear with a 15-pound spearhead, and he would stab his enemy. Now, I, I said all that to say this, Goliath didn't come to play. He came with one goal in mind, and that goal was to kill he didn't plan on taking prisoners. And by the way, he planned on showing no mercy. He came with one, one goal and his one goal was to kill. When I thought about that, it was like the Holy Spirit immediately revealed to me John chapter 10 and verse number 10. The Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, I want you to understand this morning, church, that you and I have a very real enemy just as David did. We have a very real enemy. Satan is definitely an enemy. Our Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so Satan is an enemy. How about this? Sin is most certainly an enemy. James chapter 1 and verse number 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Again, I'm just trying to say this, and we're going to get going here. But I'm just trying to tell, uh, tell us that we have an enemy today. You definitely have an enemy in the devil. And kids, sometimes the devil will come and the devil will say, I just want you to have a good time. That's all I'm saying. I just want you to have a good time. I want you to know something. The devil does not care about you having a good time. He doesn't care the least about you having a good time or having a party. Or I'm telling you, if, if the devil is talking to you, it's because he wants to destroy you. Just like Goliath, he's not planning on taking prisoners. He's not planning on showing you mercy. The devil wants to kill you. The devil wants to destroy you. And so we have an enemy in Satan. We have an enemy in sin. But there's others of you here this morning. You have other enemies. For some of you, it's the enemy of bitterness. Something happened in your past. Someone hurt you. Someone abused you. Someone mistreated you beyond measure. And I'm not belittling that. I know that's terrible, but, but now all these years later, you just can't get over it. You go to bed thinking about it. You wake up thinking about it. That bitterness, it just, it, it's with you every single day. And, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you something, church. Bitterness is an enemy. It'll kill you. It'll rob you of your joy. Oh, yes, good neighbor, it will. After pastoring 30 years, pastoring a lot of people in 30 years, I've watched people get bitter at something or bitter at someone or bitter at a circumstance and that bitterness wreaked havoc in their life and it made them a very, uh, 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 it made them a very hateful person. It robbed them of their joy. It robbed them of their contentment and their fulfillment. And, and I'm just telling you that, that if you're here today, bitterness is your enemy and, and you better deal with bitterness. There's some of you here today Bondage is yours. Addiction. Nobody knows. You haven't told anybody. But there's an addiction in your life. You're embarrassed about it. You wish it wasn't there. We wish it weren't there. 
You're really embarrassed to deal with it. You're embarrassed to tell anybody about it. You're embarrassed to try to go get help because you just, you just wish it weren't there. And every day you wake up and it's still there and you wish it would go away and yet it stays with you. That, that bondage, that addiction, it might be drugs, it might be alcohol, hey, it might be pornography, it might be lust, it might be, it could be many, many different things, but every single day it's like a monkey on your back. It's like a chain that's got you in its hold and uh, you feel like you're in bondage every single day and, and you say, oh, preacher, I wish, I wish it would leave me alone, but it, it just every single day it bothers me and it challenges me uh, and it wants to conquer me. And oh, this is all I'm saying, Calvary. Uh, we have an enemy today. We have an enemy. For some of you, it's anger. For others, it may be lust. For a few, it's guilt. Something in your past, something you did, something you shouldn't have done. And by the way, God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And it just hounds you. It's like that chain that Miss Krista sang about. It's uh, every day you're, you, uh, and by the way, by the way, how many knows this? That the enemy is very faithful to bring it up. And he loves to remind you something you did, it could be years and years ago, and yet the enemy will constantly bring it up. And he'll say, you can never be used of God. God never would want to use you. I don't even know why you go to that church. You're not worthy to be down there at that church. I want to tell you something real quickly. None of us are worthy to be here. If we got what we deserve, we'd get hell every single time. But oh, I'm glad there is a God and he's a God of forgiveness. Enemy. We all have an enemy. But we notice here about David's enemy. Oh, I love this that David didn't just knock Goliath down. He cut his head off. Now, man, I read that the other day and I thought, Lord, why did David cut the giant's head off? I mean, he put the rock in the sling. He got that thing going. I don't know how many RPMs, but it was, it's amazing. You need to watch it. You can watch it on uh, not that, but uh, uh, you can watch something like it. We will watch it one day, amen. God's glorified DVD player. I hope he'll hit, rewind and let us watch this story. And, uh, but you can watch some of these Israelites and some of these shepherds with these slings, and they are deadly with those things. It's incredible. But why did David cut the giant's head off? Can I give you just a few thoughts this morning? How about this? Number one, number one, why did David remove the giant's head? Number one, to be true to his word. Why did he do it? Well, look in your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 46. Now this is before David slings the stone. In verse number 46, David says to the giant, this day, haven't done it yet, but I'm a fixing to knock your block off. Uh, look what he says. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee, here it is, and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You say, Pastor, why did David cut the giant's head off? I'll tell you why. To be true to his word. You see, David did what he said and he said what he meant he carried through with what he said he was gonna do man by the way what a great lesson David said oh boy I'm getting ready to knock you down and he said I'm gonna cut your head off and when David killed him with the stone or God did David carried through with what he said he was gonna do he was true to his word now, I said that to say this, church, if there's something that you've said you're gonna do for the Lord, carry through. Man, if you're here today and, and you made some kind of a decision and, and you said, I'm gonna do this thing, or uh, listen, do what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Hey, listen, quit being so up and down and uh, oh, listen to me, the Bible says that it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And if you come to church and you say, hey, 
I'm going to do this thing for God, then I want to tell you what, you better make sure that you carry through with what you say. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? If you say you're rededicating your life, then be dedicated. Now, that's simple preaching this morning, but that's, that's worthy of saying. People come up, you know, and make a public, you know, a public profession and say, Pastor, I'm rededicating my life to Christ. I've been away from the Lord for a long time and and I'm coming back to God and I'm rededicating my life to Jesus and and from here on out, I'm going to live for him. Listen, if you come up here and you make a decision like that, which by the way, we're thrilled about that. That's a good decision to make. But if you come up here and say that that's what you're doing, then my dear friend, make sure that you carry through with what you said. If you're rededicating your life, make sure that you're dedicated now I'm going to tell you what if nothing else it's confusing it's confusing to the kids people come up and they'll say pastor I just want to tell the congregation today I'm coming home I'm rededicating my life (laughs) man I shouldn't preach this I'm telling you what I but you know I just sometimes I just got the cane help at church and 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 uh uh, you pray for me. Will you pray for me? I, I need old prayer I can get. And, but I remember, hey, can I just testify? I remember growing up as a kid and uh, I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old and I was in a, a church and people would get up and they, they'd come up, man, they'd weep, you know, crocodile tears and they'd come to the preacher and shake his hand and man, they'd cry on his shoulder and they'd say, Pastor, I just want to tell the church I, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. I just want to let them know I'm coming back to God. I'm going to do something great for God. And you know what? And the congregation would rejoice and as a young man sitting out there who didn't know a whole lot, I'd think, well, praise the Lord. That's great. That's great. Man, these folks are rededicating their life to Jesus. They're getting right with God. They're going to do something for God. And, uh, and then me and my parents, we'd go back on Sunday night and, and I, and as a young man, oh, I know I shouldn't have, but as a young man, I'd, I'd be looking for him. I, I was trying to find him. I couldn't, I couldn't find him anywhere. And, and uh, five minutes till, three minutes till, two minutes till, service starts. Five minutes after, I'm looking, I'm scanning the auditorium. I can't find him. They don't show up on Sunday night. Don't show up on Wednesday night and come forward and say, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something, brother. I know this isn't good preaching, but I'm just telling you, as a young man, that was confusing to me. I mean, listen, if you're going to rededicate, bless God, rededicate. Hey, if you say you're coming back to God, come back to God. If you say you're getting right, get right. If you say you're saved, hallelujah, act like you're saved from something. Sometimes I want to ask people who say, yeah, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved, saved. And I want to ask him, what are you saved from? What do you say from? Still living the same old life? Same old testimony? Same places? Same people? Same parties? And I want to ask him sometimes, what do you say from? Man, if you're saved, you ought to be saved from something. Hey, if you, if you make a decision to join a ministry, carry through. Be there. Now, by the way, nobody has said not one solitary word to me. But if you say, Pastor, I'm joining, I'm joining the nursing home ministry, praise the Lord. But if you say that, do it. Show up. If you say, Pastor, I'm going to join the Good News Club, I'm going to the public schools, and I'm going to help share the gospel with those public school kids, do it. Do it. Hey, if you, if you say that you're surrendering to preach, preach. Preach. You say, well, Pastor, my name wasn't up on the billboard. Okay, preach. Your name don't have to be up on the slide. Your picture don't have to be up on the slide. You don't have to have a pulpit to preach. But if God has called you to preach, preach. You say, I ain't got anywhere to preach. Preach on the street. Hallelujah, preacher. Preach it, preacher. Amen, pastor. That's good preaching this morning. Yes, I think I'll just keep on and keep it on. Come on. Man, preach. Preach in a nursing home. Preach in a Sunday school class. Preach to the youth. Preach on a bus. Preach in the backyard. Preach to the refrigerator. 
I mean, preach to the animals. I mean, just go down in the field and, and get, a, get an old stump and pretend like it's a pulpit and just preach the hand out of those Holsteins. And, I mean, just preach until they, until they get right with God. You say, preacher, you're so silly. Not, not really, not so much. Buddy, I used to, I didn't have a key to our church, but I know how to get in. I'd ride my 10-speed bicycle tire, our little country church. There was a window. I knew how to get in. I'd crawl in that window, and nobody was there. Nobody was there except me and the Lord. We had these uh, shutters on the windows, and you could open up one side of them, and I would stand behind the pulpit, and I'd, there was a window right over here, and I'd open up that window, and that way, if anybody pulled into the parking lot, I could see. I'd crawl in the, in the church window, and Man, I'd walk up behind that pulpit and we didn't have a big sound system like we've got. We had a little, little intercom system that sat right there in the pastor's pulpit. I'd flip that little red light on and uh, I'd get behind that pulpit and I'd preach, I'd preach, I'd preach. And, and by the way, if all of a sudden I'd see somebody pull in the parking lot, uh, man, I'd shut that blind and I'd cut the intercom off and I'd get the vacuum cleaner like, like I was vacuuming or something, you know, uh, in the church. I'd preach. You say, why? Because God called me. You say, who were you preaching to? I was preaching to the pews. I was preaching to song books. I'm telling you, we had revivals. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, listen, it was, it was nothing less than the Billy Graham crusade. I mean, books got right with God. Pews got right with God. The carpet came forward and got right. I mean, it was amazing. Now, you say, preacher, you're being silly. You call it what you want, but I'm saying this. The reason that David cut that giant's head off is because David said, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. And that's exactly what he did. Be true to your word. If you say you're going to start tithing, give. Well, you say, Pastor, how about COVID? How about COVID? I didn't know that changed anything. If you say you're going to do something for the Lord, do it. Hey, I don't care. Hell or high water, man, just do. Do what God has told you to do. If you commit to being a better spouse, then be a better spouse. If you commit to being a better parent, do it. If you told your kids, honey, we're gonna start being more faithful to the Lord, do it. Amen. We may not get to another point this morning, but oh, I hope you'll hear me on this one. If you tell your kids that you're selling out for the Lord, whatever you do, don't go in reverse. If you tell your kids from now on, we're going to be faithful, then carry through with what you say you're going to do. The dad himself told me this story many years ago. There was a dad who wasn't going to church with his wife and their little boy. Every Sunday morning, his wife and the little boy would get up and they'd eat breakfast and they'd get ready for Sunday school. And the little boy would run into the bedroom. His daddy's laying in the bed. He'd say, Daddy, Daddy, me and Mama's going to church. Won't you go with us? And his daddy would sort of nonchalantly roll over and say, Honey, I'm not going today, but I'll go next Sunday. The next Sunday would roll around. Mom and son would get up and eat breakfast. The little boy would run in the bedroom. And he'd say, Daddy, Daddy. You said you'd go today. His daddy would roll over and say, honey, I, I, can't, I can't go today. I'll go next Sunday. And every Sunday, that scenario would be played out. Every Sunday, and that little boy would run that bedroom. He'd say, daddy, we're going to church. Daddy, you're going today. Honey, I can't go today. I'll go next Sunday. One Sunday morning, that mom and that son got up and she fixed breakfast. And after breakfast, that little boy ran into the bedroom. He shook his daddy. He said, dad. Today's the day you said you'd go. And his dad rolled over and said, honey, daddy can't go today. And the little boy, who was just a little guy, the little boy stepped back and said, wow, you're not much of a daddy. And turned around and walked out. By the way, dad got up. And dad got his clothes on and went to church that day, by the way, and got right with God. Amen. Now, this is all I'm saying. 
Uh, do what you say you're going to do. David, why did David take off the giant's head? Number one, to be true to his word quickly. How about this? Number two, to testify that God is real. Look at verse number 46, verse 46. David said in verse number 46, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of Philistines that stay under the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Here it is, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Look at verse number 47. And all this assembly shall know that David's a great man. It's not what it says. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give it, give you into our hands. Oh, listen, let me tell you why. You ought to remove the head of the giant because we need to testify to a lost and dying world that God is real. Amen. Isn't it amazing how the world tries to explain away the blessings of the Lord? For instance, they'll say, kids, you're getting ready to go back to school, and they'll say, let me tell you how we got here. We got here by way of evolution. First, I was an amoeba when I began to begin. Then it was a tadpole, my tail tucked in. Then it was a monkey in a coconut tree, and now I'm a professor with a PhD. I mean, that's how it works, you know. And they'll try to explain away the power of God. In fact, I found something this week. I got to read this. I got to read this for you quickly. It goes like this, there is no God. All of the wonders around us are accidental. No almighty hand made a thousand billion stars. They made themselves. No power keeps them on their steady course. The earth spins itself to keep the oceans from falling off toward the sun. Infants teach themselves to cry when they're hungry or hurt. A small flower invented itself so that we could extract digilatus for sick, sick hearts. The earth gave itself day and night, tilted itself so that we could get seasons. Without the ma magnetic poles, man would be unable to navigate the trackless oceans of water and air, but they just grew there. How about the sugar thermostat in the pancreas? It maintains a level of sugar in the blood sufficient for energy. Without it, all of us would fall into a coma and die. Why does snow sit on mountaintops waiting for the warm spring sun to melt it? at just the right time for the young crops and farms below to drink. A very lovely accident. The human heart will beat for 70 or 80 years without faltering. How does it get sufficient rest between beats? A kidney will filter poison from the blood and leave good things alone. How does it know one from the other? Who gave the human tongue flexibility to form words and a brain to understand them but denied it to all the animals? Who showed a womb how to take the love of two persons and keep splitting a tiny ovum until in time a baby would have the proper number of fingers, eyes, and ears, and hair in the right places and come into the world when it's strong enough to sustain life. There is no God. <laughs> hey, church, I want to tell you something. There's no way that all of this could have just happened. There's a divine God and a divine plan and one of the reasons, one of the reasons that David, I love this now, don't miss this, now I'll go to the last point. But one of the reasons that David cut the giant's head off was because David wanted the Philistines to know proof that there was a God. Because y'all know how the world is. You know what they'll do. So, so David slings that stone, hits Goliath, Goliath comes tumbling down. I guarantee it. There was some already people out there and said, well, well really, uh, really and everything, really, really what happened was Goliath had a heart attack. That's really what it was. He had a heart attack, yeah, yeah. Goliath had a stroke. You see, David didn't have not one thing to do with it, and there's not a God. You know, see, uh, Goliath stumbled, and he hit his head on a rock. He hit on his own a rock, all right. That's right, brother. The rock of ages, bless God. Amen. That's exactly right. And see, David went out there and David said, man, I'm gonna cut, I'm gonna cut his head off and this is gonna be proof positive. Hey, no heart attack, no stroke. It wasn't blood sugar. Uh, listen, it wasn't diabetes, buddy. It was God that took this giant down. I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what the Philistines would have thought about David's God if Goliath 
would have gotten back up. You ever think about that? David said, you come to me with a sword and a spear, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And just a few minutes later, giant Goliath gets back up. I wonder what the Philistines would have thought about God then. I wonder what the world thinks about our God when we just knock our giants down. And we say we're going to do better and we end up struggling in and out of church, in and out of our Bibles, living like we're in self-destruct mode, scared teetotally to death of COVID-19. I'm not, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, I wonder what the world, when the world looks on, I wonder what the world thinks. You ever think maybe, maybe it's time we cut the giant's head off? So we can let this world know there is a God. There's a God. But I got to give you this last point because it's the main one. Not only did David cut the giant's head off to be true to his word and to testify that God is real, but I love it. Number three, he did it to thwart a resurrection. When David cut off the enemy's head, watch this now, Calvary, he was guaranteeing that Goliath would not get back up. Now, our Bible tells us this. Our Bible tells us that the stone killed the giant. So we know. We know he was dead. But I want to remind us of something David didn't have 1 Samuel 17, 50. David didn't know. David saw Goliath fall. I think David hoped. Man, I hope that took him out. Well, I'm not so sure that David was sure. We don't have anything in Scripture that tells us that God said to David, David, he's dead. And so just to make sure, David runs up and takes the sword and goes. We have bear hunters in this room. We have guys that hunt big game. Let me tell you what you you don't do when you shoot a bear. You don't just walk up on him. You walk very cautiously. You know why? You better make sure he's dead. And you've seen hunters, they'll go up little by little by little, and then when they get close, they'll take the gun barrel and they'll poke him. You know why? They want to make sure he don't get back up. And so David said this, David said to make sure that this enemy doesn't get back up, not taking any chances, not cutting off a toe. He might get back up. I'm not cutting off a finger or ear or arm. Are y'all with me, Calvary? David severed the one thing that guaranteed that Goliath wasn't ever going to get back up again. He whacked off his head and he held it up and said, this, this champion is in the past. Can I tell you, church, can I tell you why I read my Bible every single day? Can I tell you why I'm faithful to church even when I don't want to be? Can I tell you why I'm present for revival? Why I'm involved in a ministry? Why I stay busy in the work of God? Why I associate with the right kind of crowd? Can I tell you why? To guarantee there's no resurrection of the enemy. You see, in 30 years, come on now, I'm done. You can close your Bibles, I'm done. But in 30 years of ministry, I witnessed a lot of church members knock down the enemy. But they didn't kill him. And he got back up. I've seen people, and by the way, we love them. We've seen people come into this room who were uh, in bondage to drugs and alcohol. And they would say, Pastor, I want to get right. I want to get victory. I want to get victory over this. And I'm putting putting this on the altar. And, And you know what they did? They slung the stone. And you know what happened? It knocked him down. But they kept the alcohol in the cupboard. Or they kept the drugs in the glove box. I'm quitting, preacher. I'm quitting. You're not quitting if you don't cut the giant's head off. You're not going to quit the drugs and keep them in the glove box. You're not going to conquer the enemies in your life and keep them around. 
If you're going to conquer the enemy, my dear friend, you got to cut the head off. Don't just sling a stone. Don't just make a decision. But you've got to cut the head off. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 29. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, what is the Lord saying there? The Lord's saying this, you better get serious about it. Whatever it is that you're trying to conquer, you better get so serious that you're willing to remove the giant's head. I was reading an interesting story this week. This just happened in May of this year in the state of Colorado. Three bears had to be what they call euthanized. Three bears had to be put down. Colorado goes to great lengths to make sure that they take care of their wildlife. And so when they killed these three bears, there was a lot of criticism that came up and they began to criticize the wildlife. And they said, why, why did you kill these beautiful bears? I want you to listen to this. This is the story. In every one of these situations, these bears had not only attacked human beings, they consumed them. Wildlife officers said this, a bear that no longer fears humans and sees them as a food source is something to be feared. And this is what they said. These are their words. They will more than likely attack again. And therefore, they must be killed. Hey, church, listen. If you don't cut the enemy's head off, it's coming back. The enemy of bitterness, the enemy of anger, the enemy of resentment, the enemy of lust, the enemy of adultery, whatever it may be. You can't just knock him down. You got to remove his head. You got to get serious about it. Would you bow your heads with me all over the house this morning? Father, thank you for this challenge. Lord, it's helped me. God, help us to understand, like David, we have an enemy and Lord, he has no intentions of just playing around with us. He wants to kill us. The enemy wants to take us out. He wants to ruin our testimony. He wants to destroy our marriage. He wants to ransack our home and our family. He wants to destroy our church. And Father, I pray today that you'd help us to have some Christians. I know this was some hard preaching this morning, especially for a Sunday morning. But Lord, sometimes we need some good old-fashioned hard preaching. God, help us to, to quit messing around with the enemy. Help us to remove the head of the giant. Lord, that person this morning that's struggling with resentment or bitterness... Lord, it's been with them for many years. God, I pray today that they'll make their way to this altar and today they will deal with that giant in their life. That one that's, that's battling with the giant of lust. God, today I pray that you'd help them to come and help them to deal with that giant. God, they gotta, they gotta deal with it or it's gonna deal with them. Father, that person that's dealing with the giant of unforgiveness or anger or guilt, whatever it may be, maybe there's, maybe there's someone here this morning and they are battling with the giant of addiction, drugs, marijuana, meth, cocaine, heroin, 
alcohol, nicotine. And Lord, they're battling with this giant. God, today I pray that they'll come. And God, I pray they'll remove the giant's head. Father, have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, please. And we thank you in Christ's name. Heads about, eyes are closed. Just a question or two. How many are here today would say, Brother Pope, if I, if I died today, preacher, if I died, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I'm genuinely born again on my way to heaven. If you can honestly say that without anybody looking, would you just slip your hand up right now? Pastor, that's me, that's me. Praise God. That's wonderful. You can lower your hands. Can I ask a very serious question, though? I wouldn't embarrass you for the world, but I wonder if there's one here today, anywhere, anywhere, preacher's left, preacher's right, maybe right here in the middle, and you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Well, I need you to pray for me. And right now, you just slip your hand up. Just wave it up. Wave, wave it at me. Just raise it up and wave it at me. I see some hands. Is there another? Is there another? Right now, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? You'd raise your hand right now. Is there another? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for these that raise their hands. I wonder how many are, are here today without anybody looking, nobody looking just for a moment. And you say, Pastor, I'm dealing with a giant right now. Might be one you mentioned, it might be one you didn't mention. But I'm dealing with a, a pretty significant giant. I need prayer. Without anybody looking, you just slip your hand up right now and say, Pastor, remember me. Remember me. Yeah, boy. Hands all over the place. Hands all over. Hey, Calvary, let's make a move for the Lord today. Would you stand today with heads bowed? Father, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. I pray for these that raised their hands that said that they're not sure about heaven. They're not sure if they died right now that they would be in heaven. God, I pray that you'd give them understanding, help them to know how much you love them. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that today they would make their way to an old-fashioned altar. We'd like to take the Bible and show them how they can know that they're going to be saved. And then, Lord, those that are here this morning, there's a giant in their life. Lord, this giant just seems like it won't go away. Sometimes it seems like it's ever-present. Sometimes it seems like it's always with them. And Father, I pray today that you'd give them the wherewithal to deal with this giant. Give them grace, Master. I pray that you'd give them strength. God, I pray you'd give them direction to overcome it, to take the head off. God, have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name.